bed shaking, staircase, sex having, like you said, bodice ripping. I was like, where is staircase coming in? The <laughs> staircase scene. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi there, I have an announcement. Uh-oh. Go for it. He's got the cheese! He's got the cheese! How did you keep this from us, you fucking secret keeper? I found the cheese. Where'd you find the cheese? Tell us! Right down the road. Six dollars. That's perfect. What was the store? Sprouts. 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 That used to carry it and then stopped. Okay. Here's what happened. (laughs) I guarantee that this cheese was not available when I've been looking at it or looking for it for the last two years. I further guarantee, well, I don't guarantee, but I further suspect that as of last week, they were still no longer carrying it. So this morning, this morning, I take a hard sweep. I go in there. They open at seven. I take a hard sweep. It's it's usually sitting on the cheese bar. And I'm like, God damn it, I'm going to find this. And I'm like, all right. So I take a couple laps. There's nobody here. It's like seven o'clock in the morning. Take a couple of close laps around the cheese bar. You know, the circular thing with all the cheese around there. I'm like, I'm going to find this motherfucker. There's a couple of fugazis that look like they're in the uh, container but it's belgioso and it's like oh. other shit and i'm like ha, ah, nope oh. nope nope i look must have looked crazy i was the only person in the store and i was just wandering the cheese aisle at seven o'clock <coughs> in the morning suddenly my gaze was averted over to the right hand side where they keep all the, like the veggie drinks and all that stuff mm. and like the 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 cold fresh stuff I'm like huh all right well, it looks like uh looks like there may be a container there cruise past it do a lap no no, nothing there. <laughs> Belgioso. I'm about to walk out. I'm like, I'm going to take one more look. And there it was. There it was. That's funny. Now, in my defense, they had changed the packaging <laughs> and the label. So I had to look for it, but I found it. That's the uh, thing today. I was at Publix this morning, and I, it's not like I went on to a, you know, a fucking APB on the cheese or anything. I was just looking at <laughs> I was looking at the cheese aisle to see if it was if it just happened to be there because that would have been a funny story as well. Just to, I I show you, I show up with some fucking mazithra cheese. Um, I looked at the cheeses over in, at Publix and I was like, okay, I don't see that cheese. But one thing that made me think that there's a possibility that our search parameters weren't right or whatever was that I got go to the other end of the store and there was a a little display case that was like mediterranean foods 
And I was oh. like, I was like, I wonder if there are certain things that you look for online and you go cheeses and it mm. doesn't put that under there. It puts it under Mediterranean foods or it puts ah. it under some other fucking classification and it makes it hard for you to find those type of things. Cause I, when I spent that month in Vegas and I went to uh, the Albertsons that was close by to where I was staying and everything, mm. I was looking all over for like rice and I couldn't find rice. <laughs> and I was like, where's your rice? And they, they were like, oh, uh, it's in like, uh, it was like in, uh, Mexican foods or something like that. Oh, it was something like, I don't know. I went through that aisle a hundred times and never saw it. And mainly because it's so you, your, your brain's going, it's stupid that it would be in this aisle. But I'm gonna wander through <laughs> it. Be just, in the rice aisle. Yeah. So anyway, I, I I wondered about that as well. If there was a possible classifications thing that was going on. Well, I found it. I found the motherfucker, and yeah. I feel I feel like I've wasted everybody's time. No. But I, I felt I felt exhilarated and demoralized no. that uh, I hadn't but found this before. Entertaining. But, uh, we've content. had a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people uh, express concern. Yes. And delight, yes, and mockery of my quest for this cheese. No, I don't mock the and cheese. Just quest. to let you know, I, I the cheese quest has been achieved. Hey, every now and then, everybody has that item, that thing they want to get at the store that they can't find at the store. I think everybody's been there to some degree, and uh, I'm glad you didn't have to overpay for the cheese, uh, nor did you have to drive. 45 minutes out of your way for the cheese. And That's I'm true. glad you've got it. And I, what I'm most looking forward to is a picture of the dish you make using the cheese. So, mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Yeah. I've already, I've already gotten erect. Did you get some brown butter mm-hmm. to go? Are you going to make the brown butter dish? Or are you going to make your own? You got to make the brown butter. I don't know if you can get brown butter. I don't you? know what brown butter is. It's butter that's browned. Well, <laughs> do you put Worcestershire sauce in there or something? No, you just uh, you cook it to where the the solids uh, stay in, and they get all brown, and the the liquid evaporates. It's right before it gets burned, so you have to really, really look. But it's nice and brown. You've had brown butter before. For I'm sure. sure I have. I just thought it was a different kind of butter. You say you mm-hmm. put a color in front of something that normally doesn't have a color in front of it. I assume it's a different product, it's like purple. Yeah, brown oil. is the is the process. It's like blackened chicken or something like that. See, it's that, the process they shouldn't use colors for that. That's just that's confusing. They should they shouldn't use colors for that. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm um, glad we're off to a good start. Would it, here. <laughs> yeah, would it be would it be blackened butter then? Would that make the the? Well, that would be burnt butter. Yeah. See, so you Let's can't call it browned browned some, some butter. Yes. Yes. Browned. Yes. It, it is. I'm sorry. I should say browned butter. Browned is the process. That's by which not you're how I've butter. seen it spelled. I'm just saying. I said spelled right. with a T. Mm-hmm. What brownt? Mm-hmm. Brownt. Brownt. Okay, so do you guys have any recommends or warns? Totes amaze balls. There, great. It hey. won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Oh, yes. oh my! Oh, oh my! I always have something for y'all. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm ready. Bring it. I'll go first. I got actually this week. I have two middle. Of, I have a record warn and a recommend. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my record warn is uh, a film called The Lover, and it is not the film you're thinking of. 
uh, starring Jane March from the early 90s. This is an Israeli film from 1986. Mm. Uh, the director is uh, a woman named uh, Mikhail Bat-Adam. Uh, that's an Americanized uh, production. She's also the star. Uh, this is one of her first films, but she is now today known as the queen of Israeli cinema. Um, <clears throat> the Wikipedia page says there, the film was cut in two versions, one in Hebrew, one in English. The one I saw was in English, but the, it looked like their lips were speaking English. So I, I wonder if they shot everything twice. Uh, the Wikipedia page also says they did extensive rehearsals as though it were a theater production. Uh, and the mm. cast was kind of weirded out by it. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they shot it twice uh, in two different versions. Um, <clears throat> this is a strange movie. Uh, it, it's The Rekka comes because I found it engaging for mm. a handful of reasons I'll try and articulate. Uh, the Warn comes from the fact that I also found it pretty boring. Um, mm. And I, I don't know. I guess that sounds like polar opposites. Uh, I think what in, engaged me was the concept. And what bored me were the performances. Um, so you've got a, a married couple who are in their 40s or 50s that, for whatever reason, it's not explained, have stopped having sex. Um, she needs, she's trying to get a PhD. So husband who fixes cars, he's got an auto shop. Mm-hmm. Dude can't pay for his wrecked car, but happens to be a tutor. So he says, hey, instead of paying for your car, come home and tutor my wife in this language. I think it's Spanish she's trying to learn. He's like, all right. It's like a day and a half before the Spanish tutor and the wife are fucking. Um, And this movie is basically all about everybody fucking people they shouldn't be fucking. Um, (laughs) The husband follows, figures it out, follows them, and then convinces there's a war. And this is based on a true story. This is set. Oh, Jeremy, don't speak out of turn. This is set during uh, uh, the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Um, and so angry husband somehow convinces a uh, dude that's fucking his wife to, to enlist. Um, and I guess the way he convinces him is you'd get arrested if you didn't enlist. Um, and he was trying to hide so he wouldn't get arrested. So he basically, it's like David and Bathsheba in the Bible. He sends this dude to the front yeah. lines and he disappears for years and he's not heard from. Meanwhile, auto shop angry husband guy has a hot daughter. Um, And this is the kind of movie. (laughs) Hang on. I'm not done. This is the kind of movie that will make you look up what age people were when they shot this movie. Mm. Um, But I'm happy to report from what research I did. Everyone was of age. Well, she hates school and she's coming of sexual curiosity um and the dad at this point is trying to find this this guy that was fucking his wife that he thinks he killed and sent to the war he's desperate to find this guy he's overcome with guilt he's he enlisted the help of one of his auto part i'm giving you the whole movie because i'm recommending yeah, you are i'm not expecting <laughs> you to watch it dude is uh has a helper who works for him at the auto place who's um not of the same race jeremy but anyway he's an arab um, I guess it's not explained any further than that. <clears throat> but that would be taboo for anyone in Israel to have a relationship with this guy. So, of course, the daughter starts fucking him. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the daughter has a hot friend uh, who decides for some reason she wants to fuck the dad 
uh, auto shop, Angry Dad, who is, okay. in my opinion, not remotely handsome. Um, if you're going to be a high school girl who lusts after an older man, please have a reason. Um, <laughs> be like, be like Billy Eilish. <laughs> it's like in, um, in that crazy, stupid love when that girl has a crush on Steve Carell, and I'm like, yeah, yeah but it's Steve yeah. Carell. Like, you can do better than that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Hot Daughter basically corners Dad. Uh, Hot Daughter's friend corners Dad. Okay, yeah. Um, and then uh, fucks him. <clears throat> and uh, basically, I, I won't spoil the end, largely because I don't, I don't remember it. Um, but everybody is having a taboo sexual relationship with everybody else, but everybody still feels very lonely and empty. And mm. in that regard, I was compelled by what the movie was trying to offer, and I thought it was unique. I, of course, I haven't seen very many Israeli films, uh, so there's a whole lot of cultural stuff that I found interesting. Um, but the performances, and I'm backed up by the reviews, it appears, uh, are just kind of flat, and it was considered pretty melodramatic at the time. Um, so if you're interested in any of the things I mentioned, um, there's a record for you, but you know, if you'd rather save 90 minutes, it's not a very long movie. Um, then I'm also giving you a, a hearty warn. Um, how did you run across this movie? I was flipping channels and it said the lover and I thought it was the other one. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but this still seems like uh like what channel would be playing this movie? Oh god, it was one of the uh, epics or I mean it was one of the movie channels I subscribed this to. This title is hard to find on the IMDb. I had to go to Google it and then find that name that you were trying to pronounce yeah and then plug that into the imdb because when i put the lover in it was like fuck you you're not gonna have this you're not gonna look at this title um so um, i'm trying to i don't remember where i watched it. i'm trying to i mean i'll try and find it and we can maybe put it in the show notes if people do want to check it out um, mm -hmm. but um if you've you know. gone this far tell us what happened to the fucking spanish tutor Oh, he comes back. He he's alive, and he's like a uh, uh, sort of a underground railroad refugee assistant kind of guy at this point. Um, so yeah, and there's a grandmother who's creepy and sick, and then she gets better, and then she dies. Who's she fucking? She's actually one of the only people not fucking. Mm. Okay, unfortunately, but the wife doesn't fuck anyone after a dude goes to war, right? Um, no, not a different person. She's in love with that guy. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hey. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to check this out or not, but I probably will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I got recommended a movie uh, over the weekend that I went ahead and watched uh, called The Brother from Another Planet. And uh, oh, nice. it's, uh, it's John Sayles of Lone Star and Eight Men Out. Uh, oh. uh, fame who wrote and directed this joe morton plays the brother from another planet um he is an alien he comes down and uh and uh he uh finds himself in harlem 
and uh, he doesn't have any way of really communicating. He can't, he can't speak. And obviously he doesn't understand uh, English or anything like that, but he can, it does seem like he can sort of, uh, you know, sort of empath his way into certain things where he knows what people want and everything. And of course, as, as the longer that he stays in this area, he is, uh, he, he starts figuring out what people want and everything, but he also gets the full on, uh, what I guess what John sales is trying to say is America in the eighties right now in Harlem where, you know, he experiences drugs, he experiences sex, he experiences, uh, you know, uh, racial discrimination. He, uh, all these things, uh, but it's got, this movie's really good. I didn't really expect it to be this good. It was like, a, a the dialogue in it, it's very natural. It's like, a it's something that's sort of emerging in the eighties where you start seeing, uh, the, this real naturalistic dialogue and like fun and entertaining dialogue, real characters and everything. Uh, uh, you know, he goes and Joe Morton goes into a bar and there's just a bunch of characters. There's, you know, you have your, your old wise guy that's in the, in the bar played by Bill Cobbs. You've seen Bill Cobbs a bunch of times in, in movies like, uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Bill Cobbs. Off the top of my head. He's the, uh, he's the guy at the top of the, the clock in the Hudsucker proxy. Oh, oh, oh I know exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Um, uh, he's awesome. yeah, he's great. And he's in a million things. I bet if you looked at his IMDB, he's got 140, 150 oh, credits, maybe more. Um, uh, it's got, uh, David Strathairn in it as a, uh, he's a, he's a, part of a duo of aliens who are trying to catch Joe Morton uh, for whatever reason. We don't know what the reason is, especially because Joe Morton can't say anything the entire movie and we don't know uh, what's going on, but he has this sort of knack for fixing things and healing people and things like that. And, and, uh, and like one of the first things that happens is he goes to a, he goes to one of these offices where I don't know what the, main function is it's i guess it's either to find work for homeless people or people who are uh maybe have have just gotten out of jail or something like that and uh one of the guys you, you might recognize him uh from seinfeld he was he worked with george i can't remember what uh where george was working at the time but i'm pretty sure he's the he's in one of the ep- he's in that episode where um George uh, it starts eating like Snickers bars with his uh, fork, <laughs> knife and fork, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the and it's that it's that black guy that's with him in, in Morgan. Uh, Morgan is his name. Yes, yeah, he's yeah. he's in this movie, um, ah. uh, and uh, and then so there's like just a there's a lot of like people that you recognize in this like in their early early days. It's really interesting, really fun uh movie. Um it's got its it's got its dramatic serious side, but there's what it just it's just fully engaging all the way through. Um uh it's uh the it's just I, I just kept I, the conversations these people are having are just like, "Oh, yeah, this is you just can't get into this movie just through the just through the conversations and everything." So um, that's I, early I, David Strathairn, right? What what year did you say this was? 1984. How far does he go back? Do you think? Uh, Sneakers up. was 92, right? Yeah. 
I mean, that's got to be close to the beginning of his career. Strathairn's got 136 credits. Wow. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. It uh, looks like his first <laughs> movie was Return of the Secaucus 7 in 1979. Oh, okay. And then he had a four-year break, and then he was in a bunch of stuff, and he just was in a bunch of stuff from that point forward. Um, Wouldn't it be funny? David Strathairn's going to be like a billionaire. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's just in a bunch of movies and, like, is cashing, like, 800,000 here, 800,000 there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's just living life. Every time I watch Sneakers or The Firm, he gets another check. Yeah. 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 I mean, if I'm watching TV. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a lot of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting seeing Joe Morton interact the entire time just and, and, and finding ways to communicate, even though he can't say anything uh, and he doesn't understand the language. People say something and you can sort of see him get it uh, just, a, just like interesting stuff. Like there's this, uh, he works at an arcade where he um, he's fixing all these old machines and everything. And, this there's this one there's this one girl he's told about in the arcade who who can just uh spend one quarter and be on the game all day basically huh. and um and uh and she starts talking to Joe Morton and she's like there's just nothing in this in this uh she she says i see everything super slow everything's super slow around me nothing can keep up with me and everything and he goes over to the machine and like presses something on the machine and suddenly all everything on the screen starts going faster and she goes oh yeah that's what i was looking for that's what i was looking for you know hmm. it's just a lot of just cool little things like that so i really enjoyed it awesome i really had no idea who you're talking about uh in the firm with david struthern but i forgot he was the scuzzy brother he's the scuzzy brother who falls in love with the crooked smile mhm with who uh, Holly Hunter. <clears throat> he says, I love yeah. you. Crooked smile. Crooked <laughs> smile. Says, she says something like, uh, well, good. It's not my best feature or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what she <laughs> and does. He does like, uh, he does like, yeah. some kind of- <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's just fresh out of jail. Right. Like he's, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think Holly Hunter got nominated for that. Like that was the year basically. That that it was the year basically where Holly Hunter they were just destined to want to give her an Oscar because she's going to win for the piano, but they wanted to make sure she got nominated for the Firm too. And so you're like, okay, Holly Hunter's getting an Oscar. Like, dude, I love the Firm, but she doesn't have the best performance in that fucking mm. movie. She's yeah. alright, she's good, but yeah, she's fine. Receipts in the bag. I mean, yeah. it's like it, it's I don't know. I think Hackman yeah. probably steals that movie. I mean, Cruz mm. is good, but. Uh, Hackman plays that think. line down the middle of you know you can't trust him, but he's not saying anything sinister. Yeah, uh, he's he's at that he's at that Kevin Spacey and L.A. Confidential uh, type of uh, like I don't give a fuck anymore. Like yeah. everything is corrupt as shit, and I'm too old, and let's just fuck it. I, I'm <laughs> I'm you know I don't I don't like anything anymore. So just whatever, do whatever you want to do. My favorite, one of my favorite parts of that whole thing is when he sits down with Mitch to take him out to lunch his first day. And he's like, uh, I should, I should tell you the firm frowns upon drinking during business hours. And he's like, I'll take an iced tea. And then he orders like a martini or something yeah. like that. And he's like, as a senior partner, I'm allowed a certain rebellion or something like that. Like, yeah. By the way, the only, the other thing that it was uh, nominated for in that Oscars was score, which I support 100%. Oh, the score is great. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, okay. 
We got some good stuff. I've got you guys have movies from the eighties. All right, you're living in the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're living in the past, man. I got something hot off the presses. Just came out last Friday as we record this. Uh, it's called The Little Things. Oh, Denzel. And Denzel, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto are basically the only people that you will recognize in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, except for a lot of naked dead ladies, mm-hmm. if you'd recognize them. Okay. So are there, are there uh, naked dead ladies I'll recognize in this movie? I don't know. I mean, when have you seen one naked dead lady? You've seen them. I thought you were saying that they cast a famous person to play a dead body. That would be hilarious. Rosario Dawson plays the dead lady. (laughs) What What a pull. Why'd you pick her? (laughs) Angelina Jolie as the naked dead lady. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Anyway, so this is one of those uh, movies that was set for uh, WB to release in theaters around about this time, I think. Uh, if not maybe, uh, last year, uh, but it came out on HBO max too, as well as theaters. If you're psychotic enough to go to a theater, uh, it's written and directed by John Lee Hancock, who wrote this thing back in 1993 or so. Uh, and famously, I guess the, uh, the background of this, uh, Jonathan, our buddy Jonathan was telling us a little bit about it. Uh, it was shopped to Steven Spielberg in 1993, uh, then it was shopped to Clint Eastwood, Warren Beatty, and Danny DeVito to direct. Uh, ended up being John Lee Hancock himself uh, that ended up directing this. And they got Denzel in it. Man, I'll watch Denzel read a fucking phone book, right? <laughs> and uh, you got Rami Malek, another Oscar winner, uh, who's good. Didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody, but he wasn't the problem with that, mm-hmm. uh, except for the AO. Um, and then you get Jared Leto, uh, who's, hmm, you know, Jared Leto always gives it its all, at least he can say, right? Mm. And so we were, it's a murder mystery. And Denzel is a, a, a police officer with the past. Taught me if you've heard this before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm into that. I like it typically when he's got going that going on. And I'm like, all right, let's fire this up. And uh, much like uh, how I was kind of excited for the Midnight Sky, for the the Clooney joint that just came out uh, fairly recently, where he directed and starred in it, mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, I was nipply for this one. I was like, yeah, right, let's do it. And man, this movie sucks and sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't want it to suck. Uh, and it sucks in a weird way. It sucks. Um, the whole thing is building up to an end. But the end doesn't come. I'm not going to spoil it for you, especially because it's so new. But it's it's literally just all build up, a little bit of backstory. But the backstory doesn't come out until the very end. And the backstory doesn't explain anything. There are no answers. That may be the point. But also, it's annoying. <laughs> like, uh, the, the basic tenet of the plot is that uh, Denzel is a former LAP... De- P.E. LAPD detective uh, that uh, had a case so horrific and he was so obsessed with that he had to quit and move to a different land, a different uh, county. And now Rami Malek is in charge of a serial killer that's killing naked ladies and they're they're prostitutes and he's stabbing them. And 
they bring Deke is his name, uh, Denzel's character back to help with Rami Malek's character. And they, they go through all this, you know, the, the, there's one murder. There's another like silence of the lambs kidnapping, but we don't know what happened to her. And they focus on one guy that could possibly do all of this. And it's played by Jared Leto and Jared Leto plays about as creepy as a dude that you would expect for Jared Leto to do. But like, He's he's creepy in all the ways that you're supposed to be creepy as a suspect, as a serial killer, right? He's got this button-up overall thing, and he, or coverall thing, and he speaks like this, and he stares very intently at him, and he speaks in riddles, and he feels like he's manipulating everything all the way through, and he gets under the skin of his investigators, and the whole thing is cliched, and then the ending comes, and you're like, the fuck? fuck i was looking at it like and my wife was looking at the same way and i was like god this is just this is bad it's like a spoiled orgasm it's like (laughs) dripping back into your balls and i'm like the fuck it just didn't it didn't work at all for any of us and i think the consensus is generally the same denzel is fine like he is okay he's not great in this uh, Jared Leto is hot garbage. I think Rami Malek is fine, but like, I do not get this movie. Do you get the sense that Jared Leto is a method actor who instead of like, he's okay. If he's playing a serial killer, he doesn't go and investigate or, or, uh, uh, research actual serial killers. He goes and watches a bunch of movies about serial killers or looks at how, pictures of crime scenes only of serial right killers. right and like <laughs> there's totally some, there's something incomplete about jared leto's method that we don't see in other people who have that method it's uh, a method of a method like yeah. he studies other method actors yeah it's method. derivative <laughs> method like it, <laughs> it's really well, his music is derivative rock so i can totally get yeah that. there's that deal like i don't know if it's him trying to create something or or he actually i don't know what it is man like every performance i've seen him in in the last few years there's something off about it like if 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 uh you know daniel day lewis were to do these same characters you know, there would be a difference. There would be a miles difference uh, of what, how he would play. There's, there's a level of artifice there. There's, there's no authenticity to, you, there's a reason that you don't take his uh, technological genius Voight Kampf guy in Blade Runner 2049 seriously, because he's got the same type of delivery. Mm-hmm. Where he's staring at. Mm-hmm. It's not like the, mm-hmm. the guy, the original Blade Runner, where he was legitimately invested in his company and very creepy just from what he did. Yeah. There's a level removed to it. And I think you're right. I think it's a method of a method. Again, I don't know any more than you do about his actual method, but there is a level of art. Same thing with the Joker. It seems Mm -hmm. like he studied Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson and Cesar Romero and said, all right, I'll do a mishmash of that, except with tattoos. Yeah. 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 Like I don't want to impugn the guy, but it feels like he's pretending to be method. Yeah. Yeah. If that yeah. makes yeah, any sense. Makes- like I feel like I feel like um 
the most famous method actor in the world who retired, and I can't think of it, Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis uh, is what, it represents the best of what the method can do in terms of the performances. I don't really ever see Daniel Day-Lewis in there, and I don't really ever feel like I see any affectation. Uh, whereas a lot of the most recent characters Leto's played seem to be more affected um, I think if you go back earlier in his career, he's a, he's a, f- a fine actor. Um, yeah. Before there were stories of him sending dead rats to people and <laughs> shit. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There, there's <laughs> definitely just something just off about the way, way he does things. And I don't know why directors keep wanting him in movies when he does this kind of thing over and over again. It just, it doesn't, doesn't service the movie whatsoever. Maybe they think it does. Uh, but I don't know. I think so. And I, I got to tell you, I was, I was excited for this movie in a way that I hadn't been excited about a movie in the nineties. And this is a very nineties movie because it was conceived in the nineties. Right. And in the nineties, you'd get those mid-level thrillers, especially with Denzel, <laughs> you know, of like the, uh, the, the one with him on the Island and the one with uh, him and the deja vu and, and 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 things like that where it was just a mid-level three or four like highfalutin actors doing their best a fallen is another one of these that has a little bit of a twist and you know i could go for that but this wasn't it it was like it tried to be that but it didn't it didn't get there it didn't mm, get there what a bummer i want to talk about one more all right, all right. Do it. you guys don't have to but i want to talk about first cow Okay. Um, which is my recommend, um, yep. <clears throat> which is not an impression of a cow mooing, but it is simply a way of signaling that I fully recommend this movie, but it is slow. Like mm-hmm. think of the slowest movie you've ever seen. This movie is slower. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and if you can accept that going in, uh, and I've said this recently, part of the reason I watched that whole Israeli lover movies that I'm just, I find myself drawn to slow character studies uh, more and more these days. Um, And first cow is really a movie about some tasty biscuits. And I think it's also about friendship and um, having dreams and how rarely our dreams come true. Uh, I've seen this movie twice now. Um, It's even slower the second time, but my appreciation for it went up. Uh, It's basically about two guys who meet, and they both have big dreams, and one of them's a chef, a cook, and the title comes from the fact that uh, the rich guy in town uh, has brought the first cow to this region. Uh, We're in America. I don't really know if I remember. It's the Pacific Northwest. I think it's Oregon. Yeah, Oregon country. Uh, So this is the first cow of the region. Uh, the male mate and the child cow died. So it's just a female and it's the only cow. So these two guys sneak over and t- they milk the cow late at night, steal some of the milk and make the tastiest biscuits, biscuits Oregon has ever seen. And everybody starts buying them at the market for big prices, big prices. Things are going great. Till the guy who owns the fucking cow shows up and says, I want to buy one of those biscuits. And <clears throat> I'll let you enjoy the rest of the movie from there because... It's a slow enough movie with few enough details. I don't want to spoil what happens, even though not much happens. Um, But uh, the second time I watched it, I felt this weird sense of peace. Like I was returning to 
the Martian for the 50th time or something where it was, this might be a comfort movie for me in the future for whatever reason. I was really charmed by these two characters and their friendship. Uh, Toby Jones is the only actor I really recognized in this movie, um, at least uh, on site. And he plays the rich guy who owns the cow. Um, but I, even though everybody, like I think Dicer said he kind of liked it. And I think you guys both said, boy, it's slow. And I was like, maybe, Oh, I was like, maybe I shouldn't watch it. But then I did. And yeah, it's slow. I can't. I mean, yeah, you can get up and go to the bathroom and come back and you're probably not going to miss any important details. Uh, But I found it very charming. I I heard about this movie and I can't remember the director's name. Um, Kelly Reichardt. Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. Kelly Reichardt. I looked her up and found Old Joy, which was a movie I saw uh back when it came out and everything and old joy was the slowest movie i have ever seen in my life <laughs> so when people were telling me about first cows like i didn't really like old joy all that much and i remember critics just loving that movie for some reason um so i have not gotten around to first cow although i think this movie has gotten a lot more recognition than old joy did and uh, I don't know if it's because it's just right time, right, you know, right time for uh, Kelly Reigert or if it's just that, you know, this movie is actually better than anything that she's ever done. But uh, yeah, so I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's, it's slow. That's good. Um, you're not going to watch it. Issues, but I, some people really like that. Um, it is beautiful. The friendship story is really, really nice. It's a Japanese American, I think, that mm-hmm. uh, befriends a, uh, a American settler, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they get into shenanigans, but they're slow shenanigans. They are shenanigans. <laughs> yes, that's um, why it's a, instead of a recommend, it was a recommend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Barrett, do you, are you going to want to do another recommend or warn or? Listen, I, I just want to throw this out there real quick because I only watched one episode, but it's Bridgerton. All right, people, everybody oh. got their boners hard for Bridgerton, and whether they're lady boners or or dude boners or cow boners or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And listen, it's fine. It's bodice ripping. It's costume. There's a lot of wallpaper. There's like you know, there's there's balls. Uh, most of Jane them are rich. It's uh, it's culturally diverse, which is very very cool. It's Shonda Rhimes, uh, whom a lot of people like. Um, <laughs> it's got it's got a little it's got a little twist to like it's a little bit raunchier than something like Grey's Anatomy because it's not on network television, but it ain't that raunchy. Y- yeah, you get some sex, but it's not like y- you're not going like to see somebody sucking somebody's dick. Another girl how to pleasure herself, but you don't think yeah. that's. I guess so. What you really I can say that on ABC tonight. I guess you just no, you no, you really couldn't. That was a poor way to make your argument. I think that you've desensitized yourself somehow. Uh, <laughs> I also think only watching one episode, you can't really speak to the show's. I understand launch level. Um, I thought it was pretty raunchy. I thought I think my wife loved it. I think what it what it does is it feeds that Pride and Prejudice Jane Austen itch. But it also feeds that Fifty Shades of Grey itch, a Twilight itch of you know bed shaking, staircase 
sex having, like you said, bodice ripping. I was like, where is staircase coming in? The- <laughs> staircase scene. Um, I I would say you probably won't enjoy it anymore if you keep watching, but I also don't know that you're necessarily getting a clear picture of the of the show. And I understand that. I understand that. And if somebody can explain that to me, because you haven't watched, you've watched bits and bits and pieces. You probably mm-hmm. watched like a compilation of all the sex scenes on Pornhub. I try to walk in every time there's a sex scene in the episode mm-hmm. my wife is watching. That's my goal. That's what happened with there Outlander you go. when I was successful. Does this, does this apparent, are you saying this series gets progressively more raunchy as it, as it moves along? I don't remember there being much in the first episode with regard to sex or nudity. Because I no. watched the first two episodes maybe about a month or so ago and I was like, I'll get back to that. But I was like sitting there just going... Man, I was expecting a lot more from this considering yeah. I was expecting the way the way women were talking about this on Twitter, I was expecting there to be a level of danger to everything. Mm. Like there was there was like the this guy is is so bad for me and whatever and but oh boy do I I want to have sex with that guy and everything. And then the guy is that, that main guy is hot as fuck. There's no doubt yeah, about it. Yes. Everybody's mm-hmm. hot as fuck mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, um but I was just sitting there just going, man, there's not it doesn't seem like any kind of like edge to this at all. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't give up. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to just give up on it, but I haven't watched it since I started. I mean, I, if Downton Abbey had a lot more sex in it, I don't think that would bring me to the table any more than it does now. And that kind of, I know it's not the same story, but it's, it's, you know, the haves and have nots. It's the queen and the nobility and the plebes and stuff. And, and that's just not an itch that I have to scratch i think yeah. uh it's also weirdly anachronistic with the music and that really really bothered me oh, there's a scene where that bothers she's doing you a, but in the favorite it's awesome dude, i will come through that screen <laughs> i will come through that screen the music can throw. be anachronistic in the movie you like but not in the show you don't they danced a little funny in the fucking favorite this has ariana grande playing thank you next during the 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 chick selection scene where they're all supposed to be you know pairing up with each other and it's it's, thank you next thank you next and i'm like fuck no that's anachronistic dancing funny is not anachronistic it's just a little funny it is it's not anachronistic in a way that bothers you but it's anachronistic Mm -hmm. don't say you're wrong no we're, All they did was like a little crab walk. Come like, on, it wasn't you even, were the one they weren't spinning on fucking cardboard on their head and like grabbing their crotch and shit like that. They weren't like uh, you know like doing the thriller the dance. It's really stubbornly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody heard. There's like two seconds of anachronistic dancing or weird dancing in the favor. Uh, nobody it. heard that argument anyway because you guys were both talking at the same time, so it doesn't matter. Um, I can can download my track and send it to him to make sure he gets what I said. (laughs) I heard what you said. (laughs) Yeah, you did. All right. So I will give you you Ariana Grande in that show is more troubling anachronistic stuff than what is in the favorite. I will grant you that. But both have examples of anachronistic. I guess. Yeah. Well, there we go. We meet in the middle. And we resume as friends. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, since you guys, 
uh, have recommended a couple of things. I'm going to recommend a, a YouTube channel. Ooh. Oh. Um, and Cinema a, Sins? Yeah. Hey, guys. Did you know about this channel called Cinema Sins? Oh, that would blow people's minds if we started talking about... <laughs> they do this everything wrong with Yeah. Like we just start talking about it like we'd never heard of it before, even <laughs> though at the top of the show we say we're from Cinemason. Um uh this is uh, largely on uh based on uh, a video that Jeremy shared uh, a couple mm. of weeks ago. This guy, Chris Ramsey, uh that's oh. the name of his channel, uh is Chris Ramsey. He does a lot of like magician card tricks and stuff like that. But the thing that I really like to watch on these and they're and they're perfect YouTube content, I believe. Uh, is he gets a puzzle like a you know an actual like physical puzzle uh, that's uh, that you can that you has like uh, you know different dials and switches and things like that on it, so that it, you know that you try to get to the to the center of it. Jeremy sent a video of this one that was just like this multi-level tier thing where he. He was going. He had to. He he was rotating it around. He's like, oh, there's a number three here, and oh, there's a number five. What does that mean? And like, yeah. oh, that that ends up being a combination. And then you put the combination in, and you open this one thing up, and then that opens more of the puzzle, and so on and so forth, until you get to the. And it took him about thirty. Uh, well, the video was thirty minutes, but the I, I think it took him hours to finish yeah, I think it was this like one. Four hours, yeah. And it's a it's a continuing series. That's just one. That's like that one particular puzzle is a part of a subset of other puzzles that he has solved on that on that uh, channel. He does a lot of other ones too that are completely unrelated. But um, but uh, every time he's got some new puzzle that he has to work, it's it's just exciting to watch him try to figure it out. Some puzzles, I'm like, fuck that shit. That puzzle's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> because well, it is because he'll he there's one where he sits there and he's like he's like he's spinning it he's like flipping it around and everything and everything looks like it's just like a just physical force is what fucking opened the puzzle up and he's just like oh that's not really using your brain that's just like you know that's just like tossing it around until it finally oh, yes. <laughs> Um, if you like these kind of, if you like these kind of puzzles and you like sort of trying to solve it, uh, uh, with him as you're, as you're going along and everything, and you're th sitting there thinking, why doesn't he try this? Why doesn't he try this? Why does and eventually he will, he will get to those things that you're thinking of, but most of the time he's way ahead of the curve and you're just sitting there going, Oh Jesus, I didn't even think about doing something like that and, <laughs> and everything. But I, I always have enjoyed those kind of things where like, you solve one thing and then it opens up another part and then you're just, it, it, it makes a, it, it, it creates more mysteries, but it also helps you get deeper into the, to the puzzle and everything. So, uh, I would highly recommend this Chris Ramsey, uh, YouTube channel. So awesome. Yeah. Nice. I would second yeah. that. Uh, I watched a few more videos after sending that one to you guys and he's a very, very good host. He's got mm -hmm. a very a good voice. Uh, he's articulate um and uh yeah agree yeah so to recap here this is this is gonna be a fun recap <laughs> jeremy recca warned a movie from 1986 called the lover that is not the lover that has jane march in it uh it's an israeli film that he thought was the 1992 lover and ended up watching the whole thing anyway uh when he found out it wasn't but he Rekka warned that. And he also Rekka meh and 
did the first cow, the Kelly Reichardt slow as molasses fucking movie that apparently everybody loves uh, these days and everything. Um, uh, I recommended the brother from another planet, 1984 John Sales film with starring Joe Morton. Really, really good. I also recommended a YouTube channel, Chris Ramsey, who does a bunch of puzzles and magician tricks and stuff. Barrett warned the little things, the movie that is on HBO max. And I think theaters right now, uh, Denzel Washington and Jared fucking Leto. I I, I get to the point now where I just have to add a fucking in his, in his name. It doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, he warned the shit out of the little things and uh and he wreck a warned bridgerton but jeremy says that it's much better than barrett is <laughs> and i and i have only watched two episodes i have not i am not yet ready to say what i think of bridgerton um, um I, I by the way i did find where the lover was viewed by me and it's on a movie channel on my cable called screen picks ah right, okay. screen picks yep so if you want to find it and have screen picks on your cable, you can watch it. Otherwise, uh, uh, I don't think I can help you. <laughs> yep. This guy is not my kind of guy. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time to talk about BetterHelp. BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp. i tell you what I've been using lately is all the little bells and whistles that come with it. Um, obviously, you have the ability to talk to your counselor directly uh, via video chat, via text chat, uh, phone, tablet, computer, whatever. Uh, but I've been doing some of the other ancillary stuff too. There's a place where you can journal. Uh, there's a place where you can communicate with your counselor offline um, and just kind of leave the messages up there. Typically, my counselor will get right back to me uh, fairly quickly. You can uh, schedule your appointments and all that. You can review documents that you've uh, passed along or received over time. So what BetterHelp is, is online counselors uh, from licensed professional counselors all over the world. Um, it's a terrific service, especially now uh, when people are more confined uh, without having to go to a therapist's office. Uh, you can take care of everything right there. And let me tell you something. Uh, I know we've been talking about BetterHelp for a long time. Uh, but we still are getting people that respond to us saying it took me forever because this is not an easy step, even as easy as better help is. It's not an easy step to get involved in counseling, especially that first step. And we've heard from many, many people, uh, listeners of ours that say, yeah, you know what? I, I did it. And I'm glad, even though it took me this long, I'm glad you guys are, are still at it because I finally took the step. And by and large, we've heard good things uh, about uh, the experiences of our listeners. So just so you know, we're going to keep talking about this. Excellent. I want to talk to you. You there, listener person. I am not a doctor. But. What? I truly believe there's someone listening to this podcast that may have anxiety or depression and not realize it. The last year has been so fucking stressful. Pardon me. <laughs> Do you have to bleep that for better help? No, no, no. We're fine. For so many people, for so many different reasons. And I think there are millions of new cases of anxiety from mild to extreme. And that's what I deal with most. And so 
What I want to do is from the Mayo Clinic's website, just read you a few symptoms of anxiety. Just because I didn't know I had it until I went to the mm. doctor, I thought I had a heart problem. And the doctor said, oh, no, you have anxiety. Uh, you don't have to have all these. Having these doesn't mean you have anxiety. I just want to get you thinking. All right. That's all I'm trying to do here. Do you have a sense of impending danger for no reason? Is your heart rate increased? Do you breathe more rapidly than you used to? Have you been sweating more? Do you feel weak or tired? Do you have trouble concentrating and staying on focus? God, this list is me. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you have GI trouble? That's gastrointestinal problems. Do you have trouble controlling your worry? Um, <clears throat> those are just some of the symptoms of anxiety. And if any of those rang true for you, I would really like you to explore the idea with your general medical doctor or a therapist that anxiety may be in your life. Um, but I also want to speak to those of you who don't have anxiety and say you don't have to have anxiety or depression for therapy to be of use to you. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I just I feel like there are people out there, whether whether you're ready to pull the trigger or not, you need a service like this. Um, and, you know, when Barrett speaks and when we speak about it, we've used it. We're speaking from personal experience and, and it's, it's, it's a truly invaluable service in this time. So there you go. That's my spiel for this week. And even knowing that you don't have to diagnose yourself, you don't have to go through that list and say, I definitely have this, which is easy to do. Of course, you know, being online all the time, that's what BetterHelp is there for. What you do is you just go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. And you fill out a few questions. Those questions are going to help guide you towards your match of a counselor. That counselor will then explore and say, let's see what's bothering you. Uh, let's see, you know, what's happening in the background, that kind of thing. This is stuff that I used to do literally every day. Go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. I could not put it any better than what Jeremy just said. Uh, if you feel like there's anything that you need to explore, that you need to work on, uh, that you need counseling for, you get 10% off your first month. Use that first month uh, for sure. It's kind of your launching pad uh, to what you want to accomplish in counseling. So go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Uh, we love it. We use it. And can't recommend it more. Betterhelp.com slash Sincast. So our uh, our main topic today is uh, uh, the world's best character actors. Yeah. And uh, we decided we wanted to get, we wanted to go over these these uh, these people. And the the character actor typically is that person who isn't all that famous, who's hardly ever probably never the lead in a, in a movie. Uh, although there have been some great character actors who have moved on to do that type of thing. And uh, we'll have some overlap here uh, on that. Uh, but um, uh, you know, the, the, the typical thing that I always heard growing up watching movies is, Oh, it's that guy or it's that mm -hmm. girl or that woman or whatever. And then, and, and it's, you don't know their names a lot of the times, but they're always in like they're in hundreds of movies and you've seen them over and over and they've all, they're always great. They always bring it. So we were trying to come up with some of our favorite ones and, uh, who wants to start us off? Oh, I, I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> um, we all used a little different criteria and, uh, I loved all of our lists cause we're all right. Um, and we could probably do this topic again someday, as long as we write down uh, what we answer today. Because I, I wrote down like 12. I think you guys have 
more than enough to share, but we won't have time for all that. But first one, the main one, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is a man named Chris Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays Deke Slayton in Apollo 13. Yeah. Um, and in that thing you do, he is the guy in the camper that is the band's first manager and serves them stew and then introduces them to Tom Hanks, to whom I am convinced he has a good relationship with because both of those are Tom Hanks movies. He's also yeah, in Catch Me no doubt. Um, So uh, just a little bit of a, if that, hopefully that gives you an idea of what he looks like, uh, but you probably don't realize he was in Days of Thunder, My Cousin Vinny, uh, Adam's Family Values, Crimson Tide. Uh, he's done a lot of TV work. Uh, that Thing You Do, as I said, Con Air, um, Wag the Dog, mm-hmm. Godzilla, Armageddon, October Sky, uh, Keanu's Best, The Watcher. Wait, that might be a different Watcher. Uh, no, no, no. That's The Watcher. He's in that. Yeah, all right. Great. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Connoisseur of The Watcher, Barrett Share. <laughs> uh, he's in The Island. He's the bartender in that movie. Um, he's just everywhere. And what I love about these kinds of conversations is like, uh, this was sort of born out of Chris's love for an actor that is on his list. So I'm going to let him talk more about him, but because he talked about him so much, I've started to notice this character actor when I see him and started to realize his greatness. And I think once you sort of make that kind of connection, you'll see them everywhere. Like this guy, Chris Ellis has 139 credits. Um, <laughs> he's in live free or die hard for fuck's sake. Uh, he's just, he's <laughs> justified. He's everywhere. Um, and he's also one of my favorite actors. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Chris Ellis, Chris mm-hmm. Ellis, become part of the Chris Ellis fan club today. And you'll be one step closer to being friends with Tom Hanks. I guarantee there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, since you, you brought him up, uh, the, the whole sort of reason for this is Tracy Letts, uh, mm-hmm. who, mm. who, if you look at his filmography, actually doesn't have he's not in that hundreds of credits uh mold he's uh he's a you know he's a guy who has done a lot of things though um uh he i think he was a playwright mainly that's what he's basically known for uh but a lot of his plays have become movies like bug and killer joe and uh august uh osage county and um Mm -hmm. things like that uh but he has appeared he started to appear a lot more recently uh and i can't remember what the first movie i saw him in was but it might have been the big short uh the big short he is one of the investors he's one of he's a he's like the guy who's in charge uh he might be the president of michael barry's company in that movie michael barry uh has has been is you know, has like a, a thing in his contract that says I can do whatever I want. Essentially, you guys have trust trusted me with, with your money and everything. So even the people higher than him, he, they, they have to sort of like, just take it a lot of times, even if he does something like the big short where he's shorting the housing market, which is fucking insane. Uh, that's the Christian Bale character, Christian right? Bale character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and Michael Burry, I said, Michael Barry, but, um, but, uh, but Tracy Letts is one of those guys. And there's a point where that, that it doesn't look like this short is going to happen at all. And he comes in to, to Michael Burry's office. And he's like, he's like, he's like, give me my money. You motherfucker. 
give me my money. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Michael Burry just always just stands his ground the entire time where I think Tracy Letts has really sort of, uh, uh, has people have started to become to appreciate him. And I think this is Jeremy too, is Ford V Ferrari where he has perhaps, even though this movie is great throughout, he has perhaps the best scene of the movie. Uh, and it's because of him that it's so good uh because because he because yeah because he got that that point where he's being sped through that race course and and by the end of it he's like got he's going back and forth between exhilarated and like crying from the tension (laughs) and and everything it is it's show stopping the camera stays on him the entire time too there's no cuts or anything and it's just i i I sit there and i think about what it must have been like to be behind the camera when he did any of those takes especially that one where you you, you're probably sitting there just going i don't want to turn the camera off he's what else is he gonna do in this it's Um, fantastic that's yeah my god um, and he has shown up in, uh, he has shown up in a couple of other movies, uh, the Greta Gerwig's both Greta Gerwig movies in Lady Bird. He's Saoirse Ronan's dad in Ooh. that movie. And, uh, he's also, he's Mr. Dashwood in little women. He's the guy who is going to, uh, may or may not publish Saoirse Ronan's, uh, uh book at the end of the movie. Um, uh. But he is, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, also you Seinfeld fans, he does have an episode of Seinfeld on his list. It is the episode where Festivus is introduced, uh, in the, uh, in the series. Uh, he is not part of the, he, well, he is actually part of the Festivus, uh, celebration at the end of the movie. Yeah. He, he gets invited, but, uh, he is a part of it. He's a, he's a counter guy at an OTB betting, uh, place. Elaine's been giving out the wrong number to guys that she doesn't like. And he is, and they're, they're getting the calls from these, from these men thinking they're going to talk to Elaine. And, uh, so yeah, so Elaine go comes out to the OTB place and he, he sets her straight and like, keep on giving these men their numbers. We're men, we're men. And like talking about doing something. <laughs> I don't even remember all the, the stuff that he says in that, but that's Tracy. She Lush. just came out of a Schwitz for seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No bagel, no bagel, no bagel. Nope. I love in uh, Ford v Ferrari. There's two moments that have been killing me lately, and one is that speech he gives when he shuts down the assembly line. Mm-hmm. He's like, "That is the sound of the Ford Motor Company out of business." Um, <laughs> and at the end, he's like, uh, he tells everybody to walk home and come come to me with an idea, and you keep your job. The rest of you, second best losers, stay home. You don't belong at Ford. But then <clears throat> the, the the uh, meeting where um, John Barenthal is trying to sell him on racing. And they're like, well, we do racing already. You know, we do NASCAR. He's like, no, no, I'm talking about, you know, the sexy racing. He's like, you know, James Bond doesn't drive a Ford. 
<laughs> Tracy Letts goes, that's because he's a degenerate. <laughs> and Josh Lucas is doing the perfect yes man. He's like, oh, that's so funny. The <laughs> uh, so Tracy Letts has completely stolen that move. The first two, two or three times I watched it, Matt Damon was the star of the show, but Tracy Letts has stolen it from him for me completely. Is it uh, Shelby that drives him? In, yeah. in the car or is it Christian Bale's no, it's, character? No, it's Matt Damon's Shelby character, yeah. And he's okay. probably not supposed to do that anymore, but he still did. Mm. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I think we've where, all like, uh, started like to actively love that movie. Yeah. That's where uh, Josh Lucas is locked in the office and, yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Tracy Letts has not had like uh, the the big Chris Ellis career yet, uh, and mm. he's of an age where I don't think we're going to see him in everything or anything. Sure. I think uh, you know he's he's. Uh, but I think that uh, in the next ten to twenty years, we're going to look back and see a lot of these type of performance performances, and he's going to be one of our our favorites. Uh, so anyway, Barrett, that's a great one. Uh, my character actor is somebody that you've seen in absolutely everything, like in many different generations. Uh, you young people will recognize her. Uh, you old people will recognize her. It's Joan Cusack, not mm-hmm. John, his sister, Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has been, yes, she's had kind of a style that she's played, much like Chris Ellis. She's become a bit of a chameleon. I want to take you through her 80s. She was a member of Saturday Night Live uh, back in the 80s, by the way. For, People forget that. For a that. couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. She was in 16 Candles. She was in Broadcast News. Yep. Uh, married to the Mob. She was in Working Girl as one of the, uh, the, the office workers. She was in Say Anything playing John Cusack's sister, which you'll come back to after a while. My Blue Heaven, Men Don't Leave. Uh, her maybe most recognizable role as a human uh, would be Adam's Family Values, where she plays the uh, the 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 woman, the femme fatale that's trying to get Fester away from the family so that she can get the money. And she is essentially unrecognizable as Joan Cusack in this movie. Hmm. Uh, she she usually plays like the best friend or the sister or that kind of thing, and she is kind of out of her element, but she's wonderful in that movie. Uh, she's in nine months, uh, and then she starts in this uh, John Cusack thing where she's in Gross Point Blank playing John Cusack's uh, receptionist, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, she nearly steals the show in that oh, movie, she's fucking, too. Man. She's fucking <laughs> hilarious. The, that scene where she talks about uh, – she's on the on – the, um, phone and she's like i ordered blah 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 su- uh, subsonic you had that and everything you and had that yeah and, and uh and uh and he's like well it's like it's like well it's right there on the fucking list it's right there she's like i don't give a goddamn if you don't you know blah 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 and then she switches over to another call and and the person is talking about some food preparation no no you have to use the soup as a base it's not a Uh, oh she's great and when she's sitting she's about to set fire to the whole office she's hilarious (laughs) oh she's so perfect in that she's in in and out i believe she plays kevin klein's wife right yeah Yeah. uh, she got Uh, uh, i think she got nominated for in and out in fact I believe so. Uh, she's also in Arlington Road, a fun movie. Cradle Will Rock, she plays this uh, commie-hating um, uh, McCarthyist, mm. basically, that uh, is trying to get uh, you know more people to her cause uh, in Runaway Bride. And, of course, 
This is where uh, the younger people will probably recognize her voice as Jessie in Toy Story, mm-hmm. in the Toy Story franchise. Starting with, in fact, she was the subject of the most emotional song of maybe the uh, the entire series. Yep. Uh, starting in Toy Story 2, 3, and uh, of course 4. Uh, and man, she, she's been in high fidelity. She plays the best friend in high fidelity and she is just absolutely genius. I think she's got a wonderful delivery. I think she's been in classics, uh, and she's, she's still working, man. She's still rocking it. She's probably got millions from that toy story franchise. Cause she's in the video game. She's in the TV movie. She's in the shorts. Royalties, uh, baby. She's all over the place. Mm-hmm. She's, and then um, she's in uh, Klaus too, that Netflix movie that came out. I guess in and out is probably as close as she's come to getting a shot to be a leading lady. And even there, that's Kevin Klein's movie and she's yeah. a secondary character to him. Um, but she's got every much, every bit of talent. She is every bit as talented as her brother, um, who has had several shots to be a leading man. Um, and uh, I'm glad she has such a vast uh, filmography because she's, uh, she's a talent. I agree. And then seeing, I mean, this is something that, that, that's very unique in Hollywood and really anywhere. But seeing John and Joan Cusack play off of each other, uh, when she storms into his record shop in High Fidelity, and uh, he's like, Hi. Hi, Liz. And she's like, hi, Rob, you fucking asshole. And then she leaves. <laughs> and he's got this confused look. And you're like, ah, oh, that's brother and sister. When they're talking on the phone in, in Gross Point Blank, you can see that sort of thing. Uh, and and it's it's a very it, – it works out beautifully when they're on screen together. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she's fantastic. One of my best character actors ever. Yep. And she also uh, got nominated for Working Girl as well. So yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. She's like the receptionist. I just watched Working Girl for the first time like three weeks ago. I haven't seen it in forever. I can't remember what it's she's Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver is the nasty boss. And I think yeah, yeah, she's either yeah. the receptionist or she's a friend. She's kind of like the Emily Blunt character in Devil Wears Prada. That's what I felt I like it was. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we going another round at least? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back to the Seinfeld well for a man <laughs> named Daniel Von Bargen. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sad to say has, has died in 2015. Yep. You will know him if you know Seinfeld as Kruger, George's <laughs> boss um, at the company for about a season. This is the, the famous episode where George leaves everything on a high note. Uh, Kruger is his boss in that episode. Um he famously, when the R falls off the sign, the boss loves it. He's like, hey, Kai, K-Uga. Sounds like one of those old army horns. K-Uga. Um, but you may not He's realize, also in the Festivus episode. Yeah, yeah. This guy has been in 85 movies or TV shows. Um, and he has played a lot of cops and uh, law enforcement agents. Uh, but he's in Silence of the Lambs. He's in Basic Instinct. Yep. He's in Rising Sun. Um, he's in a movie I love that no one ever talks about called IQ with Meg Ryan. (laughs) Um, He's in six degrees of separation. He's in Philadelphia. He's in crimson tide. He's in Lord of illusions. He's in broken arrow. Uh, GI Jane, Amistad, the postman. One of my favorites is probably in crimson tide when he plays like the Russian splinter, like Vladimir Vachenko or whatever his name is. He's like the guy who might fire the missiles that the Crimson Tide that Alabama is trying to prevent. Uh, and it always makes me laugh to see Kruger from Seinfeld playing the, the Russian general who has taken over. 
Um, and yeah, he was on several episodes of Seinfeld. He's in a civil action. He's in Shaft. He's in RoboCop 3. He was on West Wing. He's just everywhere. And again, you really start- find this guy. Yeah, this is the perfect example because you you'll be watching something completely unrelated to what you would think this guy would be in. Like, yep. Hey, it's yep. that guy. It's that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I honestly, before researching this, I never knew his name, the actor. Um, I always just knew him as that guy who played, if I recognized him at all, it was the guy from Seinfeld. Um, but uh, yeah, this segment is great. We should do this segment more often. He's got, he's got the perfect line in the Festivus episode. Where he, because you know George uh, Frank gets up, uh, Jerry Stiller, and he's like, "Now comes the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people." <laughs> and then he starts firing into Kruger. You couldn't run a company if this. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> and then uh, they get to the feats of strength, and he's like, "Who should I? Who wants to pin me?" And the dude takes out a flask, and he's like, "How about George?" <laughs> 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 that is the best. <laughs> did you did you mention in that that string of movies you were uh, talking about? Did you did you mention Oh Brother Where Art Thou in there? I did not. No, oh, no, he's, he's the sheriff. Right? He's the sheriff. That's the one that when when that when he's mentioned, uh, I think that's my most memorable. Uh, the one that I most remember him from is is Oh Brother Where Art Thou because he's he's just. That's a perfect Cohen Brothers foil there, Um, and uh, he's great in that in that movie. Yeah, he's very menacing. Doesn't have a whole lot of lines, Mm -hmm. but uh, when you see the flames reflected in his his sunglasses, Mm -hmm. and then you hear uh, the the guitarist character talk about him, uh, he's like had a big old hound dog with him too, and his eyes were as dark as you know this thing, this street right here. And it's like, ooh, that guy freaks me out. <laughs> um, yeah, we have. I mean, we all have lots of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick a more obscure one here. Who was in a ton of stuff, and I don't know how to pronounce his name. His his name is Rick Dukeman, I believe, is his name. Uh, you know him from the Burbs. He's one of Tom. He's probably oh, yeah. the zany neighbor of Tom Hanks in the Burbs. Uh, there are, of course, everybody's a zany neighbor, but he's the, he's, he's the one who's always talking like this and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and he's in, uh, Groundhog Day. He's, he's one of the drunks at the bar with Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. And of course he's the guy in the diner who's like, Hey, put that anywhere guy or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, I, 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 I remember him mostly weirdly through a very brief scene in the hunt for red October where he is a helicopter pilot and, uh, and, and Alec Baldwin, he's sent, he's taking Alec Baldwin over to the, to the, uh, um, the, to the submarine, to the Dallas. And, uh, and, uh, he's like going over this whole thing about like, Oh my God, the last time I went here, there was so much puke. Oh, it was like that radioactive puke and blah, blah, blah. You talk about chunks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause he's like, he's like, this is bad. You should have been there last week. <laughs> yeah um i want to uh, go over a lot of the other stuff he's he's been in and he's he recently died too um did he really yeah i don't know how many years ago it was but uh um 
let's see. He was in Spaceballs. He played a prison guard. He was in Die Hard. He's a city worker in Die Hard. And I'm trying to remember what that was, but mm. um, uh, it looks like uh, Encino Man. Uh, he was in uh, Loaded Weapon One, Last Action Hero. Wow, there's a period there where he wasn't in. Oh, I remember Scary Movie. He's played Cindy's dad. He's the one who's. You know how in in Scream they in Scream the dad was the sort of the cuckold of the you know the the you know he was you know he's the uh, and so they made they made Rick Dukeman plays basically that character but like with all sorts of vices and shit like just all <laughs> sorts of just like just like he's a drunk and a gambler and all this other stuff and whatever but yeah they they really skewered that character and. Um, uh, but, uh, he, that, those are the main ones that I remember him from. And, uh, actually those are his main ones, actually looking at his, his filmography. I thought he was in a lot more, but, uh, but the burbs and hunt for an October and groundhog day, they, he's all he, just fantastic work. And even though he doesn't have like hundreds and hundreds of credits, he's memorable. Very much that guy, very yeah. much that guy in groundhog day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for because sure. he keeps showing up. You know, because they filmed the diner scene over and over again, mm-hmm. uh, they keep doing that. And he's like, you look like a glass half empty type of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I look at this glass and I say it's half full. <laughs> uh, he's awesome. He's, he's, awesome. he's, he's, I mean, he's one of the funnier aspects of the burbs. I love the burbs, but, and everybody's great in that, but he's, he's, uh, he's definitely one of the more memorable characters in the burbs. All right. I'm going with iconic character actor mm-hmm. to 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 juice you in the face this time all right this is he rides the line but i think he's always going to be a character actor willem dafoe mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. now you look at this now the guy's got mm-hmm. credits going back to the early 80s yeah heaven's gate was his first uh technical performance even though it was uncredited but man talk about disappearing into a role Think about Platoon and think mm-hmm. about the adagio for strings at the the end of that. Think about him playing Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, Mississippi Burning, completely different character than anything he's ever done with Gene Hagman. Uh, he was in Wild at Heart. Uh, disregard body of evidence. That wasn't good for anybody. Uh, he's that, in. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's in an American Psycho playing. Yeah, you talk about almost stealing a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, you cannot take your eyes off anytime he's on screen uh, because you have no clue what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. Uh, extremely memorable in that. Uh, obviously, Shadow of the Vampire, I believe he got nominated for an Academy Award uh, for that. Yeah, right? he played Max Shrek in that. Max and I, Shrek, believe, yeah. I believe he did. Uh, actually, I... I I feel like the Florida project it's possible was his first nomination. I'll look, I'll look real quick. Um, uh, a lot of you remember uh, him from as being the green goblin in the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man trilogy, Sam Raimi franchise. Uh, and oh, probably sorry. the next Spider-Man movie. <clears throat> he has been nominated for four, for four Oscars. Uh, he was nominated for platoon shadow of the vampire, Florida project and at eternity's gate. He's been, nominated. yeah, you get to those for sure. Um, he's in the life aquatic is he's got a mm-hmm. kind of long history with, uh, with, uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. You see stuff like he's in the inside man. He's worked with everybody. Uh, but then you start getting into the fairly recent stuff 
It's a hard movie to watch, but he's an antichrist, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, a great movie. It's just a hard movie to watch. Uh, and then you get into John Wick. You get into Nymphomaniac, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, of course. Uh, but then the most recent ones that you think about is The Florida Project. He's never played a character like in The Florida Project before. I mean, that's that's a singular, singular performance. And it's just fantastic. Um, you know, he's... He's the soul of that entire movie. Without that character, this movie's lost Mm -hmm. because everybody's terrible on their own terms. Totally agree. Uh, And and he is the heartbeat of that movie. And then you've got The Lighthouse, which I absolutely loved. Um, You've got uh, uh, At Eternity's Gate, which I saw a little bit of where he plays Vincent Van Gogh. And he's tremendous in that movie. I don't like that movie all that much. But he's amazing. In well, and, and let's not forget Speed 2 Cruise Control as well. Exactly. No, exactly. I, the, the one thing that the, about Willem Dafoe, and this is why he, he is perfectly encapsulates this, I believe, he's not, his face has a lot of character in, yeah. in, in of itself. He's not classically handsome or anything, he's, he's, uh, but he's got a very unique face. And his voice is also uh, another thing that just is so distinct about him unmistakable when when he when he gets on screen and everything and uh yeah it's uh, gravelly but it's not super deep it's not like it's not unrecon it's it's definitely it's got its own timber i think mm-hmm. yeah. timber and, and that's how you can tell I was watching Vox Lux and he is the uh, narrator in that oh yeah and you can tell immediately that's uh that's him mm-hmm. and uh i i am so confused by this movie i've watched it several times and i don't like it but murder murder <laughs> on the orient express right i keep watching this because it's so beautiful and it's got great people in it but i don't like it uh and i think he's probably my favorite character in that mm. uh because he plays i won't spoil it but he plays a very um well-rounded character uh with a lot of different facets to it and uh he's a lot of ends, lot of outs, lot of, lot of what have you <laughs> new shit is coming to life <laughs> and then of course he's in finding dory too so now willem dafoe is one of my favorites on this list i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah we're going did, again did, did we did we say finding dory without saying finding nemo <laughs> I looked at Finding Dory. I meant Finding Nemo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's in both of them, though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's in both. But like, you would, I would think you would go Finding Nemo. I was just, I was just saying Finding Nemo would go first in that whole in that whole. What's funny is that uh, Finding Dory made a lot more money than Finding Nemo. Isn't yeah, there? but that, yeah. that that threw some weird fucked up anomaly that I'll never understand. <laughs> Let's do another round of this and save the questions. I mean, I know that we we don't get around the questions very often but we got to them i think the last three episodes so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i can do this all day all right oh. good well then i am gonna go to the top of my list and do the godfather of all character actors in my opinion mr david pamer yeah um, <laughs> nice and uh david pamer did a lot of tv work for about 10 years um he was even on one of my favorite shows when i was 12 years old 21 jump street um, and, uh, he has a bit role in no way out the Kevin Costner drama that I'm still hoping Chris will see one day that I think he will love. What would you say? No way out. 
Yes. I think with I've seen No Way Costner Out. And, well, the last time I brought it up was years ago, but you said you hadn't seen it then. No, I think I saw it immediately after you brought it up All right, that, good. in that in that Sincast, and uh, so I have seen it now. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, but you probably know him from stuff like, well, he's in Crazy People. I'm not sure how many of you have seen that. But, I have seen um, Crazy People. <clears throat> oh, well, yes, we have, but I'm not sure the listeners have. No, um, the listeners have not, but. In um, City Slickers, he plays one of the two Ben and Jerry ice cream uh, fictional versions of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's in Heart and Souls, one of my very favorite movies, where he's the bus driver who ferries the souls from Earth to heaven. Um, and then he's in Quiz Show. One of the reasons he's the godfather of character actors is he happens to be in a lot of my favorite fucking movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's in Quiz Show's Dan Enright, the NBC uh, executive. Oh, he's great who, in Quiz Show. Yeah, orchestrates with Hank Azaria, the whole cheating scheme. Steals the show uh, almost in every scene he's in. He goes on after that to something called Quiz or Get Shorty. He goes from Quiz Show to Quiz Show. Uh, the American President, Nixon. Um, City Hall, that famous John Cusack movie. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. What is, hey, Chris, what is the the trailer thing? There was a palace that was the city, <laughs> a palace in which there were no king, no queens, no princes or dukes, but subjects all beholding unto each other to make this a city, our city. A better place in which to live. Oh, a palace again. Oh, nice. man. Beautiful. Uh, a string of bad movies you probably saw. Carpool, The Sixth Man, gang-related. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mighty Joe Young. Um, but then he's in The Hurricane. Um, that Jamie Foxx banger, Bait. I think that's Jamie Foxx. Uh, yeah, yeah it is. Movie, by the way, I was joking. Um, he's got 172 credits. Mm-hmm overall mm-hmm. he's uh the one in uh oceans 13 that gets yeah. fucked with and has to basically well he just gets fucked with the whole movie um <laughs> he's great in that though he like, can play a schlub like that go ahead well it's like that and and he does the same sort of thing and get shorty um the he and get shorty he's just constantly like just being shit on in that movie not to the point of what he is in oceans but the but but he is a he's a a character that can be bullied is basically what it comes down to yep um anyway um what was I going to say? Oh, he can play a schlub like that, but then, you know, he can play a Dan Enright in Quiz Show who's mm-hmm. smarter than most people in the room, uh, given which room he's in. Uh, so he's got a pretty good range. I don't think I've ever seen him get a chance or maybe he doesn't want to be the leading man. Um, he's a very unique, faceful character, like we said about Willem Dafoe. Uh, and he's just one of he's just one of the most assuring faces to me. When I see him show up in something, I'm always like, Ah, I breathe a sigh of relief. He makes me feel comforted. <laughs> I love the part in Quiz Show where Rob Morrow comes up to him and tells him about James Snodgrass, who gave, who sent himself the answers, registered mail, um, and everything. And uh, and before he drops that bomb on him, Pamer's doing this thing where he's like trying to direct the photographers and shit for the new winner of Quiz Show and everything. And, uh, and he keeps turning around and is like, you know what? You are very blah, blah, blah. He just tells him how annoying he is and everything. And then finally, you know, Morrow drops that bomb and then Pamer just kind of like, he just stops in his tracks or whatever. 
they sit down and there's this long pause. And then he turns to, turns to Rob Morrow and he goes, why would he do that? Like he knows he's been had at this point, you know, he's like, why would he do that? And, uh, and, and Morrow is so confident that this is going to lead to them going to jail and that they're never going to yeah. work in TV anymore. And of course the sad reality is it didn't matter how much proof he had on it. They, somebody, somebody else could take the fall and he'd be back in TV. He would take the fall and he'd just be back in TV afterwards. There wouldn't be any punishment for all of this, but I love, I love this performance in quiz show. That's like the, the apex of everything we're talking about here. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. What do I want to choose out of this group? I mean, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go big. I'm going to say David Strathairn on this one. Nice. Since we've already talked about Another Strathairn. David. Yeah. Uh, David Strathairn has obviously been in a million, uh, movies. And I don't think the only one that I know of where he was, you could consider him the lead of the movie is good night and good luck because he plays, uh, Edward R. Morrow in that movie. Um, and, but he's always fantastic. Deserved the nomination, Oscar nomination for that and everything. He is, he's a hundred percent great. I don't, I don't know of too many. I mean, we've named off some great actors that we just love to see and everything, but I don't know of how many actors like David Strathairn show up on the screen and you just know that the movie is now better because of it. Mm-hmm. Every time he shows up, I don't know what it is. He's probably been in a lot of shit movies. I mean, he's been in Godzilla and stuff like that, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, um, but, uh, in, uh, in LA confidential, he plays that he plays Pierce Patchett. Who's basically, a uh, you know, a, a glorified pimp in that movie. Um, uh, he's the, he's the guy who's like, uh, helping women get cut to look like, uh, uh, celebrities and everything. Uh, he's in the river wild. Uh, yeah, he is. uh, he, he, Whistler, and, Whistler and sneakers is one of the best creations of characters there's ever been. Agreed. Uh, I, I, I think the reason to, I mean, there, it's very rare that they put in a character like that and they actually use strengths of a, of, of a, of a character like that than rather. And even when he's got weaknesses, they're somehow able, it's like a team thing, right? Um, uh, he's able to, you know, when Robert Redford is in the trunk of the car and he asks him what the, the, uh, the road sounds like, and uh, what did, what this, what did the, what did everything sound like and everything? And he's able to recreate that, that moment and everything. It's so good. Um, uh, he, he, he's, uh, recently in, uh, this nomad land too, and he's fantastic in nomad land. Mm. Yeah, that's a surprise, David Strathairn, by the way, because nobody else is famous. In fact, I think most of them don't have like they're they're there's actual no, people who are nomads and transients. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's really the only other than Francis McDormand. Like he's the only other like name actor that you would really recognize. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going through this, and uh, we, we also briefly mentioned, uh, because I was talking about a brother from another planet, which he's in that movie too, but he's also in eight men out. He plays, uh, he plays a pitcher, uh, for the white Sox in, in eight men out, um, who is, uh, you know, being relied upon by the gangsters to, to throw, to, to throw games. And he doesn't want to, he's a great pitcher. He's somebody who likes to compete and he hates this. 
but he he knows that he he's going to have to do this kind of stupid crap and everything um uh and because you know it starts getting to the point where they, their their lives are threatened if they don't if they don't throw uh throw the games um but uh he's great in that i don't remember memphis bell too much do you guys i've seen it uh but he's in that mm. movie I liked it. I saw it one time, but it's uh, my buddy Josh is one of his favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, in uh, in a league of their own, he's one of the big uh, advocates of the women's league in uh, in in the movie. And in fact, he even tries to take it over by the end because he thinks it's something that could be very viable as a as a, as a major sport, even as the war is ending and everything. And he he realizes very quickly that. You know the women that are playing want to go back to their husbands and and uh, you know and live the family life again. Um, and we said sneakers. Uh, he's in the firm. We brought that up as well. Uh, the River <laughs> Wild. Uh, he's in Dolores Claiborne. Do you remember him much in Dolores Claiborne? I only saw uh, him. He's in one of the Bournes. Which Bourne uh, is ultimatum. he? Ultimatum. <clears throat> yeah, he's in ultimatum. I was. I, was, I haven't gotten a Bourne ultimatum, but oh, sorry. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, born ultimatum. He's in that, uh, he played three episodes in the Sopranos. I actually don't remember that, but, uh, yeah, consistently good, consistently great. So, uh, that's, uh, it's, uh, there you go. Davis for there. So he's an ultimatum. He's the last of the old white guys, except for, you know, well, Tommy Lee Jones, I guess is the last of the last. Yeah. Uh, he plays Noah Vossen in born ultimatum. Yeah. Yeah, they just get interchangeable. Brian Cox and oh, they, Tommy no, Lee. It, it's and, in it, that. There's one thing that that series does horribly, and that is keep track of all of its old white dudes because it's just <laughs> it's just a constant like, oh, wait a minute now, was it was Edward Norton in the in that one or was he in this one? Was it Brian Cox? Was it was it David Strathairn? Was it you know? I mean, it just Tommy Lee Albert Jones. Albert Finney, the first one. Albert yeah. Finney. I mean, God, damn it. <laughs> Albert they're Finney. all evil. Albert yeah. Finney's in the third one. Albert Finney's in the third one. Yeah, he's the he's Which the leader of Treadstone, right? Yeah, he's the one that trained Born. That he goes back to the training center to kill. That's another guy that could that could uh, be on this list. Even Albert Finney, even though I yeah. think he's had a uh, a sort of more famous career than most character actors, but he's he's one of those guys. Brian Cox, we just mentioned. Talk about yeah. somebody who's in fucking everything, Brian Cox. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna close this out with with a, a fun one that's not necessarily ubiquitous, but if you dig into this guy's background, uh, you will be rewarded. Uh, it's David Allen Greer. We're going a trio of Davids. Okay, now uh, are you guys familiar with David Allen Greer at all? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. he's in Boomerang. He's in Boomerang. He's in Jumanji. Uh, had a lot of comedic stuff in the '90s, including in Living Color. That's where, where you really most from, yeah, yeah. And when you go back, yeah, you start to see like, okay, yeah, you got the Wayans brothers in there, <laughs> you got Jamie Fox in there, you got Jim Carrey in there, and yeah, arguably David Allen Greer kind of slides back to the back of the performers that you really, really wanted to see in Living Color. But man, that guy's talented. He's got so much range. He was trained. He went to Yale. Uh, uh, performance school, graduated from there, and he was trained as a Shakespearean actor. Like, he's got an absolute banger of a resume. 
He's been in Porgy and Bess at the Rogers Theater where we saw uh, Hamilton. Uh, he's been on Broadway. He's done stand-up specials. And he is absolutely hilarious. But he's also got range of playing uh, pathos. Like, he's a great actor. And it, it's funny because when you see him in a movie, when I see him in a movie, I think, yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, or his part is going to be good. But you don't think of him as a serious actor. And I would love to see him get some sort of opportunity to really show off his range now that he's probably in his 50s, maybe even 60s at this point, uh, and show what a great range he has. This is maybe one of the most underrated actor comedians uh, that I've seen and a great character actor that that can play anything. I cannot stress to you enough like listen to listen to old adam carolla show podcast episodes uh before they had a bit of a falling out and carolla became a right-wing troll uh to to listen to him perform and it will knock your socks off he's awesome i have never you know i don't know how many movies i've seen david allen greer in like the the most uh the most uh, like I said, I, I, in living color is where I mainly know him from. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've seen him beyond that very often. He has 118 credits on the IMDb, mm-hmm. which is crazy, but I don't know if I've seen him outside of that very often. I have seen a few movies that he's featured in that I'm looking through his credits now, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a good call. Excellent. And he's been he's been a comedian in some things. He's been in that show Happy Endings, uh, the Bill Lawrence show uh, that I love so much. After he finished with Scrubs, he was in the Big Sick, uh, the Kamel Nanjani movie. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the one. That's the that's the most recent one that I remember for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been in everything, man. Uh, check out some of his his old stand up. Um, you know, some of his podcast appearances. That guy. There's, this is my kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> silly. Very silly. Um, so, um, yeah, there you go. I think we'll revisit this at some point. There's so many yeah. different character actors that we could uh, go over. And I'm sure that there's a lot out there. Our, our listeners, uh, have, will probably, uh, pitch a few themselves once, once this gets on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, but, um, anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, music video since Twitter, we're on SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find the link on the right side there. Or you can private message me on Facebook, and I will give you a link there. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. It's Megan the Stallion. You gotta unth it. It goes body yaddy 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 yaddy. Body crazy curvy wavy big titties little waist. Yeah, that's and that's how she goes. Dude, she's she's professing her love for her body. That's great. But my my issue is that 
she's professing love for all bodies, but she's talking about her big titties and little waist. So I'm saying, like, does everybody have to have big titties and little waist How come? to get into this club? Oh, you got And so I say titties on on the thing, and she says titties, and there's just a bunch of titties. And for some reason, it just struck me as, like, we should censor that. It's weird because I don't think we've ever censored titties before, but in this case, uh, it felt right. But I agree with you. Yeah, every once in a while, you just get uh, you get a titty or a dick or a, a, I don't know, a pussy or something like that. <laughs> Mm. That uh, mm. that just stands out, and you're like, hmm. Every, every now and then, every you now get and a stray then, dick. A dick stands mm. out to me. Turn around. Every now and then, I get a dick or tit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, who would have thought Gerard Butler? Because that was the first time I had seen him. I didn't see Dracula 2000. Did you guys see that? You saw that, right? Yes. Yeah, I did. The Sorry. only thing I remember. The only thing I remember about Dracula 2000 is that it had that Linkin Park song at the end, the uh, one step closer to the edge. I'm about to break. It was at the end. Was of that the, over the credits? The end of the credits. Oh, huh. that's more than it I was, remember. It had been a song, like a hit song before then, but I just remember that song playing over the credits. That movie was not very good at all, if I recall. So, Was he Dracula? Was Gerard so. Butler Dracula? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it was like, um, what's this fuck that married Charlize Theron, like Stuart Townsend or somebody like oh, that. Oh, oh, good call. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't know if I'm right. I'll find out. Uh, I'm about to find out. I'm about to break. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm about to break. So Gerard Butler was Dracula. Oh, sure. Oh. Christopher Plummer was Van Helsing. Johnny Lee Plummer? Miller. Uh, mm. Married to Angelina Jolie uh, mm-hmm. was Simon Shepard, whoever the fuck that is. And then also, notably, Vitamin C is in this movie. Oh, Which yeah, is- that's right. That's right. Uh, no, Dra- that makes sense. Gerard Butler back in 2000 had that clean cut look where you barely even recognize him. Yeah. Sort of like Phantom. Phantom, he's he's a little yeah. hard to, to. I mean, of course, he's got a mask on too, but. Um, no, he's good looking, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's uh, he's uh, relatively clean cut. He's got the nice do. He's got the. He looks good. He's very pouty in that movie. I'm pretty sure Stuart Townsend has played a Dracula <clears throat> or a vampire before, though. I'm sure you're right. Maybe in Queen I of the Damned. Either that or he is one. I think that's what it is. Yeah, he is one. It's. <laughs> I think it's Queen of the Damned. Actually, the the Aaliyah, last Aaliyah. I think that was the last Aaliyah movie. Oh my! I kind of want to go back and revisit that movie because it was god awful when I saw it. Uh, but I wonder if it's a little. Yeah, you're right. He played Lestat in Queen of the Day. Oh, nice, shit. nice. I That's right. I forgot. I forgot that was the. Is it a prequel to Interview with the Vampire? It's, it's the a, third book. It's a connected they, book for sure. <clears throat> they uh, okay. Interview with Vampires first, then the Vampire Lestat was second. But the Vampire Lestat was also kind of a prequel, but also a sequel. Mm-hmm. And then the third book was Queen of the Damned, mm-hmm. and they didn't adapt Vampire Lestat because. Cruz obviously wasn't going to do that again. He was off on that first movie. Yeah. And uh, they did Queen of the Damned, and I hated it. But going back, maybe it's a little better than I thought. Hmm. <laughs> I was watching The Mexican last night, and oh, yeah. uh, I was enjoying that more than I remembered. I don't, that it, I'm not here to tell you I thought it was great, but uh, I was smiling a lot. I really, really love dumbass Brad Pitt. I tweeted about it. I think that's mm-hmm. my very favorite yeah. Brad Pitt. 
Yeah. Uh, it, whether it's like uh, Burn After Reading or The Mexican. Uh, whenever True Romance. Yeah, whenever mm-hmm. he's just a fucking dumbass. That's my favorite Brad Pitt. <clears throat> yeah. That's a Gore Verbinski, I believe, the Mexican. Oh, really? I, I think you're wow. right. I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I just think his El Camino is yeah, one of yeah. the greatest line readings from cruddy average movies in all of history. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Did you watch the whole thing? Uh, no, I bailed about 15 minutes till the end. That's it, got Gandolfini in it, right? It is does. he the is he the hitman? He's one of several, yeah. Um, so he's playing the same thing as basically True Romance, right? Only no, no, except gay. He's gay in this movie, and it's a pretty big part of his character. Um, and he's it's different. He's got more heart than that one from True Romance. Oh yeah, he was a bastard in True Romance. Yeah, he had no heart, but he takes Julia Roberts kind of like his little sister under his wing. And uh, this is after he shoots people in the head and sprays blood all over. But um, I found it charming, but it gets pretty muddled there at the end when you've got the 100-year-old, 200-year-old history of the pistol maker and the not firing right and the vendetta and the Gene Hackman not really trying. <laughs> and <it> just, <laughs> is Gene Hackman in that? Yes. I forgot. And, uh, I forgot a lot about this Simmons movie. is in this movie. Oh, I kind of want to watch it again. Um, I think you should. I just did. It starts to fall apart at the end. And I was also drinking a little wine. So there you go. The curse. A lot of times when you watch movies and you know what era they came from, like, you know, that in 2001, two hours and three minutes was very close to being a full two hours and three minutes. And the credits didn't make up 10 minutes of it. Like, like movies today do like, you know that that's it's going to be that movie's going to end up being about an hour and 58 minutes and so it's going to have it's going to be the full nearly the full thing but if you watched a two hour and three three minute movie today you know at about 150 151 to somewhere around there it's going to be over yep so yep so this came out before oceans 11 like a few months before oceans 11 right Mm -hmm. it came out in march so Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts spent a lot of time together in they 2000. Did. They probably fucked. They probably fucked. I actually God. read a humorous... You think? I you read, think maybe? I, I, probably I'm, not. I, I read a humorous anecdote. Uh, I don't know. They may have. Um, yeah. On, on Friends, I'm not going to talk about an episode specifically, uh, but there is a famous uh, after the Super Bowl episode uh, where they had Jean-Claude Van Damme and Julia Roberts. I remember Roberts, this one. And uh, they... Got Julia Roberts on the show because uh, Matthew Perry reached out and invited her. And she said, fax me a book report by tomorrow morning and I'll do it. And he did. And instead of agreeing, she issued another humorous fax demand. And this went on for a while um, to the point where she said, uh, tell me why I would date your character. And the writers of the show helped him come up with reasons why. And she agreed, and it all turned out to be that he had a crush on her, and they dated for a couple of weeks and then broke up. Isn't that the one where uh, he gets naked in the bathroom and she takes his clothes? and Yeah, he puts on her underwear and she takes everything else because he taunted her in, in elementary school, and it's all payback. 
<clears throat> Yet another Seinfeld almost overlap, right? I'm telling you, man, it, you don't want to dig too deep because there really are only <laughs> about 50 sitcom stories, and there's just tweaks to everyone. Uh, after you talked about that uh, one with the embryos, I went and started watching. I watched that episode and then watched all the way up until the point that they all find out about uh, oh, yeah. Chandler and Monica. <laughs> I don't know. I, I still don't know if I like that show, friends. Um, like I, I wa- I'll watch entire episodes going. Yeah. And and they'll and then there'll be a couple episodes where I'm like, damn, I've laughed a bunch in this one. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the once once that whole Chandler and Monica thing starts happening, you just start realizing how fucking dumb sitcoms are a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's so insulting to your intelligence and everybody <laughs> else's intelligence. And like the, you know, right off of the bat in season five, Chandler accidentally kisses Monica as he's, as he's going out. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and so to make up for it, he goes over and kisses Phoebe and Rachel too. And like, pretends like it's some European thing or whatever. <laughs> and, it and, and, and like, <laughs> And like you're sitting there going, man, if I were in this group, I'd already know about Chandler and Monica already. <laughs> but these people are willing to suspend their disbelief about a lot of things. And man, the episode when they do find out and there's that whole like, well, they know and I know and they know and I know and all that yeah. bullshit. I'm just like, I'm just like sitting there just going, oh, my God, this is so stupid. But the the, the thing is, so many times during this whole run, they've missed easy clues the entire time but on that episode uh they they somehow are able to figure out through a lot of like deduction that you know you know certain things about the world you know like um uh the there's a point where where what what happens they see it they uh it's i think phoebe sees them from the window which and again why the fuck are they making out in front of a window anyway i'll never understand yeah um uh, and then, and then they just, they have this idea that they're going to start, oh, when they go off and do laundry, uh, why don't we give them our laundry? And they start like doing these little fun things or whatever. And as soon as they find out Chandler and Monica find out about that, they're like, oh, I bet they know already. And everything is like, why are you guys smart now? All of a sudden, how do you, how, and, and then when, and when they do certain things that are a little off. Phoebe and Rachel go, Oh, they know that we know. And it's like, you guys sat there and like, let a whole bunch of shit slide for the entire season that just basically told you they were going out. And now you guys are smart. Not to mention the entire premise of we're not ready to tell Ross is fucking stupid. That's the only reason they keep it a secret for as long as they do is we're not, we're not ready for people to know that's the dumbest shit ever. No, that uh, was that, that drove me up the fucking wall. I, yeah. I, I was I was as I was watching that season, I was like, "Why does this have to be a secret? Why is this? Why, it's not like they're dating somebody that they shouldn't, or or that Monica exactly. was dating somebody like d- dating Joey or something, and this was going on behind his back or whatever. I mean, I which happens like, later on with with uh, with uh, Rachel. Yeah, that's really insulting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, I'm not here to say it's a perfect show. <laughs> and if I were making a list of the best sitcoms ever, Friends would be probably not in the top 10 or even 15. But, really? But I do love watching it. 
Um, yeah. No, I mean, I would put stuff like Frasier and Seinfeld and Dick Van Dyke and I Love Lucy and Simpsons and, well, if you can, I don't know. The Simpsons is kind of fucked itself on the greatest of all time they list. They watered down, aren't they? Just by doing so many extra seasons, but I'd still probably put it on there. They have more um, mediocre seasons than great <laughs> seasons now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Heart. I mean, there's a lot of great tears. There's a lot of sitcoms that I think were better and more consistent than friends and friends is oddly more dated than almost any of them, even though yeah, I know all those, I 90s know, but Gen Z fucking loves them, man. Yeah. They love them for some reason, the office and while well, the office is more in their wheelhouse, but friends and the office has caught on when, if you talk to any of the early millennials or, or I guess older, younger millennials or Gen Zers uh, that we work with, you talk Seinfeld, it's completely Greek. Oh, yeah. completely great. I think that the I think one thing that Friends does extremely well is the emotional resonance type mm-hmm. of things, mm-hmm. uh, and it's always I don't know I I you know I don't I didn't tear up during Endgame whenever you know on your left and all that bullshit shows up, but watch the clip of the people who really care about that and and yeah. them cheering and stuff, and you start to get, kind of get it up, get caught up in it. And so, like, when Friends has their little moments where that just come out of nowhere, like, after they show the, you know, the video where Ross was going to try to ask out Rachel for prom and yeah. and, and all that bullshit, and and, uh, and she just kind of walks over, and you think, oh, she's going to hug him or whatever, and then just plants this huge, like, <laughs> heavy petting kiss on him, and, and you hear, the, <laughs> you hear the, uh, the crowd react to it. Just that, you hear that one person in the back going, yeah. Like you yeah. hear that? Oh. <laughs> what? Because the they're the first person that that understood what was about to happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no! <laughs> it's true because Seinfeld Seinfeld doesn't even try to go for emotional resonance. No. And no. when Frazier does, you know, it's it's always a bit saccharine. It's always you know the comedy is always the first important thing, um, and so even when Frazier tries to get like, there's this whole arc where Niles has a heart problem and ends up having heart surgery and everybody's crying. And it's like the worst three episodes ever. Mm. And there's some humor in there, but it's just, ugh, I don't let's go back to laughing. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Most sitcoms that try for that kind of thing. Don't nail it as well as friends did. And the office did the same thing. Office was, was more, I mean, the office had that moment where, you know, because the the Pam and and uh, and Jim thing was such a never going to happen type of thing because she was always engaged to this one dude the entire like for I don't know three or four seasons or something like that, mm. and then and then finally finally there was like some sort of uh, you know uh, discussion about it or or a big kiss or whatever, and I think that's another thing. I mean, it's it's those type of things that people really respond to those. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those, oh, they were they they were so good together. They finally get together and everything. I I still don't understand the Ross and Rachel thing though. That episode where they're moving the couch, uh, and the guy in the store openly is like you and her, you know. And I was like, yeah, I'm like the guy in the couch store. I'm like that guy. What, what does he keep saying? He's like, lift with your arms, lift with your arms. Oh yeah, pivot, pivot. And then, and, 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 and 
Chandler gets pissed off and like, stop saying pivot. And then at the end of it, at the end of it, where they drop the couch, basically he goes, what does pivot mean? <laughs> takes it, takes it back to the couch store in the stinger at the end. And it's sawed in half. And he's like, I would like to return this damaged couch. <laughs> and he goes, I will accept store credit. <laughs> she gives him four bucks <laughs> you're like i'm not a doctor and every time i hear that i think of that simpsons episode where they go to itchy and scratchy land and lisa drinks that water that they they go on that that ride or whatever and it's that like icky looking water and she starts tripping and everything <laughs> and i am the lizard queen and all that and uh uh towards the end of the episode they're in the offices of uh, itchy and scratchy land or whatever and um and uh this doctor <laughs> comes up to her and it's like all right take two of these two of these pills drink this do this dig it blah 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 and marge is like oh thank you doctor and he goes oh i'm not a doctor <laughs> holy shit the episode on tv right now of friends is ross buying the couch and the dude saying you and her i kid you not that is right fucking crazy <laughs> you can turn on tbs if you want to check me but it is on right now i loved his uh right down the road <laughs> what is it that reminds me oh it's jerry seinfeld when he does that uh yeah. how things going with jerry yeah we have the tractor store yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be somebody he's not but he doesn't know what that guy sounds like so he's just like yeah. how are things going with jerry i like the <laughs> one where he's uh pretending to be depressed so that George will look funnier. And he, ends up, he ends up getting the girl anyway. I think that milk's curdled. I don't care. 